All right, you ready? Okay, here we go. I want to give you three stories. And out of those three stories, three different thoughts. And then what I want to do is as we head towards the communion table, I'm going to wrap all three of those thoughts together and, and move us that direction. Okay? Three, star, three stories. And by the way, Ron hit me in the head with a speaker when we were setting up earlier. So if I completely forget my outline, it's probably a concussion, but that's okay. Three stories, three points, move towards the table, we'll connect the dots, okay? First story, Genesis. If you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 7. Now, we're going to jump into a moving story. So, so the story's already in motion, and as we enter it, here's what's happened. Chapters 1 and 2, God's laid out. Here is the creation of the earth. It's the unfolding creation of God. He's, he's laid it out, he's put it together, and he goes, this is what it's like. And in the midst of that, then, he, he tells the humans in chapter 2 very specifically, don't do this. The humans do that in chapter 3. And so now we're going to jump in. This is the effects of they've done something that God told them not to do. This is essentially when we talk about the brokenness of humanity. We talk about sin. We talk about destruction. We talk about um, chaos and evil that the Amber Alert going on would be part of. Like, this is what we're talking about, right? This is, this is the first time this happened, and there's some stuff that we can learn from it. So in chapter 3 verse 7, which by the way, if you need a Bible, sorry I didn't do that. If you need a Bible, if you raise your hand, someone will bring you one. We're going to put all the scripture on, on screen today as we work through it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were what? Naked. They were naked. Now that word naked associates with it the thought of shame. So, so it's not just that they, their eyes opened up and they went, oh, we need clothes. Like, it's way, way deeper than that. The fact that they are naked, the fact that their eyes are open and they recognize this, what begins to happen, the nakedness becomes shame. What, what happens next is, because they realize they're naked and because they realize shame, and by the way, their shame is telling them something about who they are. It's telling them that they're not good the way they are. It's telling them that they're not enough the way they are. And so the next thing that they do is, so they sewed fig leaves together, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings. Who's doing the making? They are. And what happens in that mo moment is they made coverings for themselves. Now this, this black hoodie is going to represent shame. And it's going to represent what happens when we begin to cover our shame. We make coverings to cover our nakedness. We make coverings to cover our shame. And for these first humans in this moment, which, by the way, I stole it from Justin Bieber, in case you were wondering. It is his. Um, but in this moment, in this moment, they are covering their shame. They, they are choosing, by the way, two humans together naked. Two humans standing in their shame. They can't help each other. They just help each other cover their shame. Maybe, maybe a real quick just grab out of that is, is so often we look to others to cover what they can't. We look to others to solve what they can't. But for these first humans, they're standing in their shame. They're covering. They're hiding. They're doing everything they can to annihilate essentially this false identity that's building up around them. It carries on then in this chapter 
When you hit verse 15, and God begins to tell this, this story of redemption, He begins to unfold that He has a plan, that there's a purpose, that there's, he, He's in control of this, and it's going somewhere, and there's a Redeemer. And then He begins to tell them the consequences of this choice. He begins to tell them that because you've done this, there'll be things like thorns. If you've hit a thorn in your, in your yard, you can thank this passage of Scripture, right? Because that's where it came from. And, and so... It works down, and then you hit verse 21, and it's put this way, the Lord God made. So they're still standing, by the way, in their coverings. They're still standing. They've taken their shame. They've covered it. They're standing in their shame. And it says, the Lord God made garments of skin. Garments of skin. Something had to give its life. For those garments to be made. It's a, it's a rhythm that we find in Scripture that something died to bring life. And it says specifically that made skin for Adam and his wife and what? Clothe them. See, something happened. Okay, so they're standing in their shame. Something happened between them standing, covering their own shame. Something happened in that moment. And it was, this had to go off Right? This had to go off. Their shame had to drop away. And in that moment, they stood naked before God. In that moment, they stand naked before God. In that moment, they're bare. Everything that they're scared of Him seeing, everything that they're scared of being, everything that they've been covering up, their shame is bare before who? God. And He strips it away. And then it says that He he clothed them. That was grace. This jacket represents grace. If you have an old hoodie, by the way, it feels like grace. And if you don't have an old hoodie, you should get one. (laughs) You're missing out, right? But he covers them. He covers them. It's grace. Something else gave it so that they, they they didn't change in this moment. They're standing in their shame. It's in their shame that he makes the garments. It's in their shame that he strips it away. And and in that moment, he goes, I'm going to lavish, I'm going to cover you with grace. And so he makes coverings for them. By the way, these coverings provided protection. These coverings provided for them against the elements that they were about to face. But something had to give its life for that to take place. And there's a question. We're going to hit several points. And there's just a question that comes out of this that will carry forward. But what are you wearing? What are you wearing? Like if you had to do just a real quick, like, what am I wearing in this moment? Am I wearing coverings that are, that are hiding my shame? Or am I wearing Grace. And by the way, the the difference between shame and guilt is fascinating. Guilt is for something that I did. Shame is something I did that is now telling me something about who I am. See the difference there? Guilt is just over what I did, but what shame does is it begins to give you a new identity. And when we wear shame, essentially we're wearing this false identity. We're wearing this, this voice of something that was done to us, right? We're, we're wearing that and we, we cover and we, we go through life with it. So what are you wearing? What are you wearing today? Second story is found in Exodus. Exodus chapter 12. 
But we're gonna, again, we're jumping into a moving story. So, so just a quick, like, catch you up so that it makes sense where we jump in. So the nation of Israel, the Israelites have moved to Egypt. When they got to Egypt, the Egyptians basically looked at them. And as the Israelites kept growing, they went, the Egyptians said, we cannot let them go un- unchecked, ungoverned. If we do that, they'll grow in number so much they'll take over us. So what the Egyptians began to do was oppress them with slavery. The Egyptians began to press in hard against them. And as the Egyptians pressed in hard, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. The Israelites in their oppression cry out to God. And in the process of crying out to God, he hears the cry of the oppressed and he begins to move. Now, real quick, just for you, because everybody's different in this room. I don't know what oppression you face. I don't know where you're at in this, but just something to walk out with God always, always, always throughout all of Scripture. Here's the cry of the oppressed. And he always shows up and he shows off. And in this context, the Israelites cry out and God goes, okay, I'm going to step in. I'm going to, I got a plan. Hey, Mo, right? Moses. Hey, I got, he goes down to a man named Moses and he goes, hey, Mo, guess what? You're going to go. And Moses is like, I, I, I can, can, can't speak. I'm not going. And Mo, he goes, no, Mo, you're going. Like, this is going to happen. And he's like, no, 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 no. You don't realize, God, I'm not going. And he goes, actually, Moses, you are going. But you know what? I'll send Aaron with you, right? And so you and Aaron will go back. And he's sending him back to Egypt, Right? So God is sending Moses to Egypt to speak to the most powerful man on the planet. And when he gets there, he's going to tell that most powerful man, you're going to do what I tell you because God has sent me. And he shows up and Pharaoh goes, no, I don't think so. And he goes, no, no, Pharaoh, you don't understand. God said let him go. And he goes, no, I don't think so. And so then God begins to send these things called plagues, right? And there's, there's blood and there's boils and there's hail and there's all kinds of stuff in between. And then darkness is the ninth one. And the tenth one, the tenth one is the death of the firstborn. God says, I'm going to move across this nation. I'm going to move across Egypt. And the firstborn in every household will die unless, unless you take a lamb and that lamb has to be one years old, a one-year-old a one lamb, and it has to be without defect. It could be from the sheep or the goats, but on the 14th day of the month, you're going to kill it. And then you're going to do something very, very specific with the blood from this lamb. And so we jump in right here where it says, then they are to take, the Israelites are to take some of the blood, some of the blood from this lamb, and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames and of the houses. So they're they're to put it, they're to take this blood and they're to put it specifically on the sides and on the top, right? So so this blood, this blood comes from this lamb and they're to take it and they're to paint with it on the doors of their what? What does it say? Houses. Now, houses is important because for them in this moment... The door frame to your house represented your sacred space. The door frame to your house was your family's intimate sacred space. And what happened was for these Israelites is God told them, I want you to take the blood from this lamb and I want you to put it over the door frame. Now Moses goes back from this point. Moses goes back and he's going to tell the Israelites, hey, here's what God said we should do, right? So, and I think it's like verse 21. It says, then Moses summoned all of the elders of Israel and said to them, 
Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. And it continues on. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land, when who goes through? The Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians. He will, what's the next word? See. He will see. The word see is you have to be present to witness it. What it's telling you is God is present in this moment. God is going to be there. He's interacting with it. And it says that God will see specifically the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe. And he will pass over. That's where we get the, the, the language of the Passover. He will pass over that doorway. So, so, so pass right over the house where he sees this blood. And it, it goes like this at the end of the verse. And he will not. He. Who is the He. God, God will not permit. That's protection. God will not allow the destroyer to enter your sacred space. He's saying God will not allow. God will protect you. When you paint with the blood of this lamb, what's going to happen is God is going to protect you, your sacred space, your home, that intimate place. God will protect will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. It's provision of life. And here's what happens in this moment. Their trust is displayed in the medium that they paint with. Their trust is displayed in the medium that they paint with. If they had taken water and put it over the doors, it meant absolutely nothing because water was not told. They weren't given water to provide protection and provision of life. In this moment, their trust became really, really clear. What you painted over the doorway of your sacred space, that, that showed what you were actually trusting in for provision of life, for life itself. Now, I got a question for you. Oh, sorry, I skipped that one. They did what they told them. That's what that verse said. What are you painting with? What are you painting with? Now, now let's define sacred space for a second, okay? Your sacred space is your own soul. Over the doorframe of your soul, right? Your soul, your sacred space, where life, life is contained. That part that can't be weighed, that, that part of you that is like no one else, that part that can't end up on a scale somewhere, that part that is you. What are you painting with? What, remember, trust, right, is displayed in the medium that you paint with. So over your soul for protection, for life, for provision, what is it that you're painting with? We'll come back to that. The last story is found in Luke chapter 22. In Luke 22, it's, we're going to jump into a moving story again, okay? So in, in Luke 22, what's happened is Jesus wants to celebrate the Passover meal. Remember the Passover? We just talked about it, right? When, when God passed over the houses in, in Egypt. And so 
Now it's a, it's a celebration. It's a meal to remember that. And so Jesus is getting all his boys together, right? His close friends. He's got the disciples and he takes them to an upper room and he sits them around the table and they're going to have a meal and they're going to celebrate. And in the midst of that meal, he does something that, that we're familiar with as communion, right? But in this context... There's language that's used. And so he connects it in verse 19. He connects it this way. And he, Jesus, took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Now, all of Scripture, life comes through what? Death of another, sacrifice of another. So what he's connecting to is is his body. His body is being given for them. His death is bringing life for them. So, so he makes that connection. And then he says, in the same way after supper, he took the cup. He takes the cup of wine, believed to be the cup of salvation. He's sitting at the table. All the boys are around the table. He reaches across the table with this cup. And he says, this cup is the what? This cup is the... All right, we got to do this again. It's not hiding. It's right here. We even highlighted it. This cup is the... Okay, hang on. Eight o'clock did better than y'all, so come on. This cup is the... Okay, here's why it's important. Because as Jesus reaches across the table and he slides the cup across, what they hear when they hear this new covenant in my blood, they hear an invitation to intimacy. And here's what I mean. If you were a young man... And you existed in these times. And as young men do, they're trying to find that girl, you know, that one that they want to have little rabbis with, right? Well, when you would find that one and you'd go home and go, hey, Dad, I found the one I want to have little rabbis with. I, I, I got her, Dad. The dad would go, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to go see her dad. And so the two dads and, and the young man would go, and they would begin having a conversation. And that conversation would go like, uh, I think she's worth 45 camels, Nah, more like 50. Give me 50. Nah, give me 45. You know what I mean? They go back and forth. Maybe throw in some hummus and pita bread. It'll be good, right? But they're bartering, and it's a price for her. It's a bride price. And it sounds barbaric, I get it, but all he's buying at this point is the chance for what happens next. Because what happens next is, is when, when they've figured out a price, in comes now all the friends and family, right? And in comes the girl. And she sits across the table. And he sits on the other side of the table. And he takes a glass of wine. And he slides it across the table. And he says, he says this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Right? Sound familiar? Okay. As he slides it across, what he's really saying is, will you marry me? And now in this moment, right? And in this moment, she has the choice. She has the power. The price has been set, but she can say yes or no. If she takes that cup and she drinks of that cup, what she's declaring in our language is, I do, right? But in this context, what they are talking about is he's saying, I give you my life. And when she takes a drink, she says, I accept your life and I give you mine. At that moment now, this young man and this young girl, they are, they are connected. The only way you break that apart is through a divorce. Like, and so what happens in this moment, she drank of it. He's as excited as can be, right? So he jumps up. He's out of there because he's going to go back to his village. But before he does, he goes, hey, baby, I'm going away to build a mansion. I will be back. 
He takes off. He goes back to his village, and he's going to build her a mansion. Now, don't get too excited. It was an apartment on his daddy's place, right? So let's keep it in context. Everybody's in here like, I want a Jewish boy, and then you hear it's an apartment. You're like, peace out, um, right? So <laughs> it's the 11. So he's building a mansion for her. She's in her village. He's over here. The only way they can communicate is through the text message, right, of the best man going. You thought you had typos. Wait till that guy shows up with the message, you know what I mean? But the best man would go to her village with a message going, hey, it's going great. He's building. He's working on it every day. He's coming. He's coming soon. He doesn't know when. He's waiting, but soon he's coming. She, by the way, changed her name. Her name now became known as one who was bought with a price. Right? So now she changes the way she dresses. She starts, she starts sleeping at night with her stuff packed next to her bed. She has a lamp. She's ready at any moment to go because she doesn't know the time, but she knows she's bought with a price. Right? Now the boy's in his village and he's going, Dad, come on, man. Come on. Are we done yet? Let's get this thing rolling. And it could be six months to a year, but he's still building. And finally, Daddy goes, you know what? Go get your bride. What happens in that moment he, will, he gets all his boys, his, his groomsmen, and they roll out. They're heading towards her village. And as they get out towards her village, there's a, there's a shofar, a horn, right? And they begin to blow this horn, and it sounds like a trumpet. And he's rolling into her village. And when he comes into her village, she knows that the groom has come to get her. She comes out with her stuff. She's been ready to go. She heads back to his village for, guess what? The celebration of the marriage. And there's a little meal that takes place called the marriage supper. Now, sound familiar? Because Jesus is sitting at a table going, and I'll do it for you. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. What he's inviting them into, I don't think he's asking them to marry him, like literally, but what I think he's inviting him into is an intimate relationship. I think it's an invitation to intimacy that he's giving them. He's going, I'm inviting you. I give you my life. And what he's inviting them into is when they take that cup and they drink of that cup, right? They take Jesus' cup and they drink of that cup. What happens next, right, is Jesus goes, hey, guys, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to go away and prepare a what? A mansion for you, right? So he goes away. He's with the dad. Only the dad knows the time. He doesn't know the time. But what happens next is he says, hey, I'm going to send a messenger, the Holy Spirit, that will communicate for me to you. He'll be the, he'll be the connection point. So even though I'm far, I'm near, right? And so he's communicating back and forth. And then at some point in heaven, the father goes, it's time. And he gets all the angels rallied up and the angels roll down into our our space and there's a trumpet sound because the Lord is coming back to claim his bride and as he comes back we're here we are the ones bought with a price we roll out of here to go to the marriage supper of the lamb <laughs> 